voyage. When you've been kidnapped and when someone has control of you and when they have a knife, you will do and say anything to just stay alive and get out of that situation. Jason had just learned from her Texas-based sheriff that they had her rapist Refugio in custody. As far as Jason knew, right until that moment, Refugio was supposed to be locked away in a Mexican jail. I was shocked. I said, really? And he said, yep, about a week ago, we got him. I proceeded to let all the anger and the pent-up frustration that had been building for months out. I called that sheriff every foul name I could think of. I was furious. He sat there looking at me in disbelief, thinking he had just given me the best news he could give me, and here I was having a hysterical fit. And finally he said, why? What? What is wrong? And I said, you don't, you've had him for a week and you didn't bother to let me know? Do you know what it's like at my house every day? Do you know what it's like to check every window and every door three, four times a day, then again at night? Do you know what it's like to sit up waiting for something horrible to happen? Do you know what it's like to vacuum your floors with a 38 revolver on your hip and he just looked at me and said I am I am so sorry I had no idea and of course as a man he didn't he probably would never understand the kind of fear and helplessness that a person might feel who basically has no power and so then I burst into tears and I said, I'm, I'm actually glad you have him, but I wish you had let me know. And um, he told me that he had picked him up at the roadside park on Highway 118, which is the only road from Alpine into Terlingua. That little roadside park is about uh, 25 miles south of Alpine. Ironically, that park, that little park, had been part of Woodward Ranch. Uh, it had been given to the county in, I think, 1925 so that the county could make a nice roadside park. There were beautiful trees there and it's a perfect place for a tourist to pull over and, and have a picnic or rest for a while. And I said, well, what was he doing at the park? He said, I don't know. I just got a call saying there was a naked man at the roadside park and that I should go and pick him up. And so that's what I did. And when I got there, he was crawling into the culvert he was half in the culvert, trying to hide. So I pulled him out. He was clad only in his underwear. And all he could say was, mafioso, mafioso. Which told me he thought the mafia, some sort of gangster, had put him there. 
And I said, well, how did he get there? And he said, well, three men apparently broke into the Ohinaga jail. Uh, and he sort of paused. He didn't want to say two or three weeks ago after he had just told me he'd only had him for a week. So he said several days ago and brought him back to Texas, tied him up there at the park and called me. And so I asked him who these three men were and he didn't know. Of course, you know, there's rumors everywhere uh, about who it might have been. It was viewed as such a spectacular and brave act for someone to act in my defense and bring this man to justice. People were also quite proud that he had been turned over to law enforcement and not killed. And that says a great deal about the courage and bravery that these men had. We should add a little context here. While Refugio had previously been convicted of raping the judge's wife and done prison time for that crime, Jason had found out why Refugio only served five years, a seemingly short sentence given the severity of his crime. At that time in Mexico... You can buy people out of prison if you have a place for them to work. And that was how he got out of prison so fast. I don't know what his original sentence was, but he was out within five years. This immediately became a massive story up and down the border, and major news media descended on Brewster County, CNN, The Washington Post, and others. This was an unheard-of event, and citizens on both sides of the border were upset, confused, and afraid. Mexican law enforcement demanded Refugio be returned. Texas law enforcement said that they had nothing to do with it, but Refugio was now in Texas and they intended to prosecute him. The atmosphere was incredibly tense. Here's the EMT who took Jason to the hospital, Ann Davey. Yeah, I, I was kind of shocked, you know, but Jason was an outstanding citizen. She was our postmaster for a long time. And, and I guess they weren't going to stand for it. I don't think the people across the river wanted to be associated with something like this, you know. I mean, they actually loved having tourists come over and they loved being able to come across for dances and things. And there was drug smuggling going on, but um, there were, you know, there's families and good people over there. They just wanted the same things we wanted. I don't think they wanted, they wanted this resolved. They didn't want that guy in their town. Billy Pat, of course, had heard the news too. Given that this all took place more than 30 years ago, there are slight differences in the recounting of the circumstances between different people. I was not surprised that he came back, was brought back. People along the river get on both sides of the river. They intermingle and they go to things together. They attend each other's dances and all that kind of thing. And so you have friends on both sides of the river. Jason had friends. Perhaps the most complicated reaction to this news came from Jason herself. I was glad that he was going to stand trial. But then, as I thought about it, fear, a different kind of fear, started to sink into my thoughts. I was sweating bullets because 
Now it dawned on me, and the realization was stark, that he would go to trial. So many cases that go to trial that are about rape turn into he said, she said situations. Billy Pat had thoughts on this specific subject. The one thing that made the rape, to me, unusual was the trip out through the desert. A lot of times that don't happen. It all happens in a house or, or in one place. This gave the law enforcement the opportunity to gather something where you could have a trial and have someone give testimony that was outside of he says and she said. That person would be Billy Pat. For now, with Refugio in custody, the Texas legal process began to unfold. So it was apparent that we would have a trial. Refugio Gardea Gonzalez was arraigned at the Brewster County Courthouse, and I was there for his arraignment. His defense attorney asked for a change of venue, which I thought was a great idea. Evidently, the judge did as well. The venue for the court was set to be in San Angelo, Texas, about uh, three and a half, four hour drive away from Alpine, much larger city. It was set several months in advance. It gave me time to really think about how it was going to be to actually be in a courtroom and have to recite everything again, yet again, what had happened especially in front of a room full of strangers and a jury box full of strangers. I was trying to get prepared for that and I wrote the prosecutor for Brewster County, asked him if he wanted to meet with me so that I could give him a better understanding of the events that had happened so that he could prosecute the case well, he replied by letter that he did not need to meet with me, that I was, quote, only the victim, and that he had my statement that I had given the morning after the event. He thanked me for my concern, and the letter infuriated me. It didn't take much to get me infuriated in those days. But I thought this, this, I checked into his record. He had never won a single case for anything. And here he was going to have this huge international case. And my reputation was on the line. It probably didn't matter to him one way or the other. That was the nonchalant attitude that I got from him. And I was distraught. I didn't know what to do. Um, I ended up going to the Family Crisis Center and telling them about it. And they were horrified that he would not even sit down and talk with me and help build the case. And so they suggested that I contact National Organization of Women now. I thought that was a good idea. And I wrote a letter to them and several other women's organizations and they put the pressure on. They were horrified as well and horrified at the way he had treated me and not even had the courtesy to have me come to his office and tell him in person the nuances of what had happened. 
the details. Yes, he had the statement that I made the night after this happened, but he should have heard the rest of the story. So um, before I knew it, a new prosecutor, a special prosecutor had been appointed to take charge of this case. That prosecutor was Patricia Nasworthy. She goes by Trish. My name is Trish Nasworthy. I'm a lawyer. I've been a lawyer for 40 years, and currently I work in the city of Grand Prairie, Texas as an assistant city attorney. This was not just a routine case in Trish's career. Interestingly enough, I still have the entire police report. I have her extremely long and detailed typewritten statement. I have the medical records from the hospital. I have so many newspaper articles that it's it's shocking that I still have all this stuff. My mother thinks it's very odd that, you know, I was able to hold on to stuff like this for 35 years. I lived in Houston at that time when I tried this. I've moved many times and yet these are some of the documents that I held dear to me because this case was just so memorable and I was so fortunate to be able to play a part. Uh, I was working for the Harris County DA's office. I'd been a lawyer for five years there and I got a memo from the elected district attorney who was my boss and it told me to, he told me to call the first assistant because there was a case out in uh, Brewster County where they needed a second chair prosecutor to assist in prosecuting or in the trial of a case that was being moved to San Angelo on a change of venue. And I was born in San Angelo. I have family in San Angelo. So they thought perhaps I might be interested in being that, that volunteer that would go and help out. I had prosecuted several cases prior. Um, I think my name got um, into some of the women's groups that were supporting rape victims because I had in, in, in the spring of 1986, I had tried a marital rape case and the judge had stopped the trial at some point and started yelling, why are we trying this trash uh, that it shouldn't be tried if a husband raped a wife? And so that was all over the news. And there were a lot of rape organizations, uh, rape support groups, sexual assault survivor support groups that had contacted me because uh, it was just a horrible thing for the judge to say. In Trish, Jason found a much more considerate prosecutor. Well, I think in any case, it's difficult for someone to sit in front of 12 strangers. And in this case, it did have a lot of publicity. So we knew there were gonna be a lot of spectators. And you have to tell the worst thing that's ever happened to you, uh, question by question. Trials are very difficult for any witness because you, when somebody says what happened, you wanna tell the whole story without stopping. The other side doesn't want you to do that. They want you to forget some things. They want you to not be as, um, forthcoming and uh, touch the heartstrings of the jurors like it would if you could just tell the story. But you have to tell the story question and answer. 
you need to sit there and make sure before you you go and actually testify that they know what the defense might do to push a button and get them upset. They know that you're going to try the best that you can to ease them into what happened, to set the scene, to ask what they do for a living, to ask many questions where they get more comfortable and finally sort of take a breath and sit down and are, are present in the courtroom and, and have eye contact with me so that if they're nervous, they don't have to look um, you know, around and get, I don't know, you can get really nervous sitting there looking at who all's there. You feel like you're in a tunnel. It happens to lawyers, it happens to me when I'm picking a jury sometimes with a whole bunch of people sitting out there and you're having to ask questions to find out whether or not they will be fair and impartial jurors in that case. And you have to sort of bring up the worst thing that's gonna happen in the trial to see whether or not they can handle that. You know, how do you feel about that? Um, are you gonna be able to sit here and, and listen to details of a, of a rape case? Some people don't have the, the stomach to sit there and listen to that because they're too sensitive. But when you're picking a jury, you wanna know, do you have any women who have been sexually assaulted or assaulted? Do you have men who have a family member that happened to and they know what repercussions that has had in their life? So yes, you do spend a lot of time telling your witness just how to sit there and actually listen to the question, which is also a hard thing for a witness to do. You want them to listen to the whole question, not just somebody starts to say something. And this is one of those things that, that always irritates me. I have some friends I know who do this thing where you start saying something and they finish your sentence for you. And it's so frustrating because they really don't know where I'm going with whatever it is I'm saying. So sit down, take a breath, listen to the full question, pause for a second, and then give your answer. And if you don't understand what's being asked, or you're unsure of what to say, just ask, could you repeat the question? And again, it's just making the witness feel at ease. By the time Trish joined the case, the question of Refugio being tried in the United States had been settled. Ultimately, the courts found that the kidnapping what's not done by law enforcement. And if it's not done by law enforcement, you don't have any constitutional rights that have been violated. So Refugio was certainly going to be put on trial for his crimes in the United States. But what if he was found not guilty? In any sexual assault case, there's always the question of the, the, the well, the, really and truly the only defense that they, that they have in some of these uh, the defense is consent. I met this American woman, which that's what he referred to Jan as uh, when he was giving his statement to the police. Um, she invited me to her house. We drank, we had sex, we took a stroll in the mountains. <laughs> I mean, it's so ludicrous, but that's what they say. You know, she gave me this money. She gave me her checkbook. She gave me her visa card. She gave me 23,000 pesos. She gave me some American cash. And that's why I have it all. And, you know, it was just, it was a fun night. That's what every 
you know, most all defendants say on, on rape cases, it's so typical that they will say that. And then you have to make sure the jury understands that some things will happen when you've been kidnapped and when someone has control of you and when they have a knife, you will do and say anything to just stay alive and get out of that situation. This point particularly haunts Ann Davy, whose entire life has been shaken by this story. I remember thinking, I don't think I could have survived it. You know, I found out later, see, we all went to the courthouse because you know, we wanted to, him to see us. And we wanted to stare at him. And, you know, you couldn't make any noise or anything, but we could certainly give him a look. And I remember when he came by and I gave him a look and he looked at me. And I mean, he just about knocked me off my feet. I don't know if you've ever looked into the eyes of a psychopath before. This guy was a psychopath. He wasn't, he didn't care about anything, he, but he really zoomed in on me and it, it really had a bad effect on me. I, was, I felt like I'd been a real idiot. And then later I found out that he actually had checked out three of us. Well, there was another lady on the other side of her and then there was me and he actually watched us. <laughs> And, you know, so this guy knew me when he looked at me, he knew me and it just really unnerved me. God knows what we can take. And Jason was, if he was going to pick one of us, you know, if we were going to survive, it would have been Jason because she was very familiar with the Mexican culture, very familiar with border language. She could communicate with him. And I don't think that lady and I could do that. Was Anne another potential target Refugio considered? Clearly, in the aftermath of this crime, the possibility troubled her. Evidently, he worked, I don't know which ranch he worked on. So he was, you know, he was here illegally working for some rancher. I know the other guys didn't like him because they were here on business trying to raise money to feed their families. And he was up to no good. And there must have been times when he was out and about snooping in the night, you know, seeing who comes and goes. And... Of course, I would have been harder to get to, <laughs> but um, yeah, that really got to me because you just, you know, I, I I knew I could not have done what Jason did. I could not. Have, she was stronger than me, and uh, it's affected me my whole life. To this day, I I have a uneasy feeling walking into my home, <laughs> and I I never have shrubs around my house or trees. We have motion lights and. But um, just the way he grabbed her on, on her porch or her veranda, that just always stuck with me. And I've always been uneasy about it. But I've always had dogs and that's all. Like others have commented throughout this series, Jason's recall for detail made her a particularly compelling witness. My experience with Jan is that she's very detail-oriented. I have never read such a detailed statement of, of any victim as I did of Jan's. Every, it's like every rock, every, uh, every arroyo, every tree, every cactus that they passed while they were, he took her up in the mountains. Uh, her, her fear of getting eaten by mountain lions or coyotes or attacked by a rattlesnake while he went down to his house to get the stuff and left her tied up, blindfolded and gagged. Every one of those is just so detailed. I mean, it's 
just amazing the memory that she has and the clear and concise way she has of describing all of those things to where you feel like you're actually experiencing it yourself. And my goal was to make sure that the jury felt that too. Jason had a natural partner in a sense, in Billy Pat. He had a thing for detail too. I do remember that he was just very detailed about taking Jan's detailed statement of what happened. Here's a little taste of just how precise Billy Pat, as an expert tracker, could be when it came to corroborating Jason's statement. He went to the scene of the crime shortly after the crime occurred to do that. I started at her back porch where she said that he had put something over her head and tied her hand and got her around the neck and he had a butcher knife in his hand. And, and he drug her off the porch and, and took her south alongside a dry wash that run by her house. And looking at the tracks that he left, his tracks were normal with his toes slightly pointed out. Jan's tracks were different in that they were both pointed to, slightly to the right of the way they were going. And she was having to step over one foot with the other one. She was also being dragged at times. He would go around the bush, she would drag through the middle of it. And that told me that her deal about not being able to see and having something over her head and, and him having her around the neck was probably true because the tracks indicated that that's what happened. We have a mountain of precise tracking details like this from Billy that match Jason's story. The trip she described after reading the sign of the whole thing, I determined that her description of the deal was accurate and that it really happened. The next thing that I was involved in was uh, I received a summons to come to San Angelo, Texas to testify as a witness in the trial. At the trial, I told my story just like I'm telling you. The prosecuting attorney was, uh, in my opinion, a very good prosecutor. She knew exactly what to say and what questions to ask and when to ask them. Everything went fine. The only thing that the defense attorney asked me was that when I described the sign that I found of the sex act, he asked me if I could say for certainty that they had sex there. And I told him no, that I couldn't but I could say that they were in an excellent position. And that was the only thing he asked me. At the end of the prosecutor's questioning, I was booted out of the courtroom, and, and that is all I had to do. For the record, Billy Pat did find an imprint of Refugio's knife in the ground at that site, as well as claw marks in the dirt where Jason had clawed the ground and testified this was not consensual. He could find a string from a from a blanket that was hanging on a on a fence, barbed wire fence that they had had to crawl under. He could find where rocks had been moved around and the place had been sort of uh, rubbed out so that she could lay down when when the guy tore uh, tied her up and and left her up there. He could see 
where all of that stuff happened. And I, I just remember that, especially in cases where a defendant is going to say something was done consensual, it's really helpful if you have a law enforcement officer who can take what you said and verify that nobody consensually goes up and climbs up in that part of that mountain in the dark with coyotes, mountain lions, and rattlesnakes, and leaves little strings from where a blanket has been tied up and you've been blindfolded and gagged. Somebody can document that that happens, then his whole story of it's consensual is over. After testifying, Jason had to exit the courtroom though not before once again clearly affecting Refugio by her presence. By law, a victim is not allowed to sit in the courtroom while other testimonies are given, which at first seemed quite unfair to me. But then I could see how it would probably color the whole proceedings. And in some cases where the victims have been able to remain, then the defendant has been able to appeal the case if they lose it by saying that the victim should not have been present for people to see. And so they didn't want that to happen. His appointed, court-appointed attorney was the best attorney in Brewster County, and everybody knew it. And I learned later from a different attorney that he was appointed because he was the best attorney and they did not want something to go wrong and give this man a reason to appeal the verdict. So I waited out in the hall while uh, for two days during the process of the trial and while other testimony was being given. I had several friends who had come and they sat in the courtroom and they were able to tell me what had been said and uh, who had testified and what Mr. Gardea Gonzalez had said. And one thing he said was that he thought I was a witch, a bruja, which made me quite happy to know that he saw the same thing I saw out in that desert or felt it or experienced it as far as the light and whatever that presence was that gave me the forgiveness. As I gave my testimony, the prosecutor asked me if I saw the defendant, if I saw the perpetrator in the courtroom, and I said yes. And she said, would you please point him out for the jury? And so I pointed at him and said, yes, it's the man sitting right there staring at me. And he was staring at me as if he were trying to cast a spell against me, trying to, as they say, if looks could kill. It was that kind of look. And the minute I said that and the interpreter repeated it, he changed his look and looked away. So the jury would not see the mean vibes coming out of his face. So after that, he kept his eyes pretty well averted from me. During her testimony, as if the situation wasn't difficult enough, 
Jason also had to deal with demeaning questioning from Refugio's defense attorney. While I was giving my testimony, afterwards it was time for the defense attorney to question me. And I knew this man uh, vaguely. Everyone in Alpine knew who he was. He was an excellent attorney. And he first started by apologizing that we had to be in this place at this time. I could tell he was trying to make it clear to the jury that he was not going to badger me. And I know that's the last thing a lawyer wants to do to a victim is make it appear that they are badgering the victim in any way and continuing the trauma that they experienced. And so um, I smiled and thanked him for his concern. And uh, he asked several sort of meaningless questions to me. And then he came to one more question and said, now I'm going to hand you this list. This is a list of all of the items that you had on that night and they've all been put in evidence. And so this is exhibit A. And I want you to look at this list and make sure that everything you had on that night is on this list. Make sure we didn't forget anything. And so I took the list and I'm looking at it, my shirt, my favorite pink corduroy jeans, my favorite boots, everything seemed to be right. And I said, yes, I I believe this is everything that I had on. He said, well, it's strange to me that there is an item that's missing. And I said, what item is that? And he said, well, there's no underwear on here. Do you make it a point to walk around without any underwear on? Uh, Do you not wear underwear? If not, why not? I was totally embarrassed, totally embarrassed. Here I have to sit in front of these people and after everything I've already told them, now I have to give them a reason I didn't have on any underwear. So I um, composed myself and said, that's correct, I did not have on underwear because I had been in Alpine the night before. And when I showered and got ready to come home that Saturday, I realized I had not packed a fresh pair of underwear. And so I decided just not to wear any. And that's why. Uh, It was such a demeaning question. And I feel like, I'm not an attorney, but I feel like he lost points with that, with the jury. I I have a horrible reaction when I'm embarrassed. I really blush. So there I was, like a red beacon blushing, and I don't think that line of questioning did him any good at all. The trial finally came to a close, and Jason was allowed back in the courtroom to hear the jury's verdict. It was a very tense time. My friends were sitting all around me, The defendant walked in, the jury walked in, the judge asked if they had reached a verdict. And the foreman stood and said, yes, your honor, we have. He passed it over to the judge and the judge said, please read your verdict. Next time, 
on Borderline. The trial is over, but now Jason must tackle her next challenge, moving forward with her life. An unexpected love returns. That's right, we're finally getting back to Trey. And Jason might just get a hint about who could have been involved in Refugio's kidnapping. That's next time. I'm Paget Brewster, and this is Borderline. Borderline is a production of Voyage Media. The series is based on Jason's book, Borderline, A True Story of Courage and Justice, available on Amazon. A link is in the show notes. You can help support Borderline by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening. This helps spread word about the show. And subscribe now for future episodes. When 27-year-old Gretchen Fleming leaves a West Virginia bar with a former police officer on a winter night in 2022, she's never seen again. Diligent investigators close in on an ex-cop with an unlikely story and an unsettling reputation in a recent episode of the Unsolved True Crime podcast, Last Seen Alive. Last Seen Alive is a true crime podcast researched, written, and hosted by crime analyst Leah Owens. Cases covered include disappearances, homicides, and suspicious deaths, all of them unsolved and all of them in need of tips from the public. Recognizing the right piece of information can sometimes be the difference between a cold case and resolution. Last Seen Alive exists to bring public awareness to cases that need it. Listen to Gretchen's story and more than 100 other gripping mysteries as told by a working crime analysis professional. Find Last Seen Alive wherever you listen to podcasts.